at Anchored Hope, we're committed to excellence. We believe that compassionate, biblically grounded, clinically informed counseling shouldn't be hard to find. That's why we are also committed to affordability and accessibility. To do this as a nonprofit, however, requires us to lock arms with people who care about the mental, emotional, and spiritual crisis happening all around us. If this is you, we need your help. This month, we launched a brand new giving campaign and we are seeking to find 100 people willing to give so that others might live. Whether it's $5 or $1,000, we need your help. These proceeds go to men, women, and families, pastors, ministry leaders, and missionaries across the globe in need of counseling care today. In order to join us, go to anchoredhope.co backslash give and join the cause for accessible, affordable, and excellent counseling care today. Today on This Versus That, we're talking to my friend, Jonathan Holmes. Jonathan is the founder and executive director of Fieldstone Counseling. He also serves as the pastor of counseling for Parkside Church. He is the author of The Company We Keep, Counsel for Couples, and co-authors Rescue Skills and Rescue Plan. Jonathan serves on the board of directors for the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. I loved this conversation with Jonathan. It's helping us navigate a tricky subject, releasing friendships in a godly way versus sinfully walking away from friends. Hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Jonathan Holmes, we are so excited to have you with us, and we are going to be talking today about just something that can seem like a like it's two sides of the same coin maybe but maybe there's more distinction here than what we realize so we're going to be talking about humbling humbly releasing friendships versus sinfully walking away and sometimes there can be a fine line of discernment between those two so as we get started let's kind of take a step back and Jonathan, can you just talk about the value of friendship in the first place, the value of friendship in the body of Christ and why it seems like there's a, a crisis of friendship. <laughs> Maybe this has always been the case, but it especially seems like lately there's a crisis of friendship in the body of Christ. Can you just talk a little bit about that? What's the value of friendship? Yeah, it's a, I think you're right. I do think that we're in a spot where if you read any article on mental health, counseling, you know, how people are doing the topics of friendship and loneliness come up. They seem to be so intertwined together. And I do think that that's where the biblical view of not even relationships, relationship, I think is way too broad, but the word friendship becomes such a meaningful word for us as counselors and for our counselees. The reason why I think friendship has value is because I don't think that there's any other relationship that helps us image the inter-Trinitarian community more so than friendship. Mm -hmm. uh, I think friendship is the closest approximation this side of heaven to just the eternal relationship that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have enjoyed for all time. And so participating in friendship, being a friend, making friends, having friends, I don't know, we're probably never more like God than we do that. What, what do you think has made it so difficult for people to to nurture meaningful friendships, whether in church or just yeah. in life in general? Yeah, I, you know, there's probably so many factors we could talk about. I think there's sociological factors that impact our friendships, especially in the West. We're more atomized and separate, doing our own thing, highly individualistic society, not a real sense of community life or communal living. I think that there's probably family of origin issues. We've grown up not seeing our parents involved in relationships or friendships very much, or seeing friendships or relationships that are more transactional or 
seen stories or heard stories where people have been hurt in friendships and we pull away. There's probably personal factors, you know, we're fearful, we're nervous, we're anxious on one side. And then on the other side, maybe we think we're too good for them. We don't think we need them. Talked to a pastor the other day and he said, I, I just am resigning myself to the fact that I just don't think that I can have friends as a pastor. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that there's factors that, that run the gamut. I, I think that there's a significant portion of people out there who deeply desire friends as well, but for whatever reason have just not been able to find friends. That idea of unrequited friendship where people have tried to find friends. And I find that especially true in the church, which sometimes is disheartening people trying to break through into more family unit type relationships. And maybe they're single or divorced or find themselves at a non-married stage of life. Friendships can just frankly in the church be difficult to navigate. I love this conversation. I feel like I have been surprised by friendship in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of my closest friends or some of the people that I have, that I feel like God has just given me over the years yeah. are not people that I would have naturally picked out out of a lineup yeah. maybe, or even just had one conversation, but friendships that are forged through maybe even bad experiences or mm -hmm. ministry. Not that those yes. two are simultaneous. <laughs> Not necessarily the same, but, but possibly sometimes. 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 Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And then I think there's the flip side to that, where I've been surprised at friendships that that I did need to release. I want to mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that because I think we can try to push through even on friendships that we should maybe walk away from. What would be a context in which you think it would be healthy or good or godly even to say, I, "I'm going to." let this friendship maybe go? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And there's, I'll, I'll come back to a word that Brian, you mentioned, you know, when we first got started and it's that word discernment, because I think with friendships and the question of, you know, when do I walk away? How do I walk away? Over what issues do I walk away from? Mm -hmm. The Bible never gives us this neat binary where if they do this, then you do this. If this happens, then you do this. Right. What, what it does seem to paint a portrait of is just what, what does wise love, Pallison constantly talked about what does wise love look like? What does wise love look like applied to a relationship? Does it mean walking away? Does it mean taking a break? Does it mean separating? Uh, we know that there's, we know that there's definitely grounds for that in scripture. Proverbs talk about not making friendship with an angry man or standing in the way of jealousy, but I would also say what the Bible consistently does, though, is not give us this either or of you have to do this or you must do this, but mm. gives us the tools, I would say, in terms of discernment and wise love to say, okay, as I approach this relationship, how do I think about it? A passage, when, when you guys asked this question, a passage I thought about was in Proverbs 26, because in verse four, it says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then verse five says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And you can read that verse and say, well, so what am I supposed to do? There's this really real contradiction. Mm -hmm. Do I answer a fool or do I not answer a fool? Do I walk in friendship or do I walk away from the friendship? And I think what scripture does is it shapes us and forms us is it equips us with other wise people in our life. It equips us with his mm -hmm. spirit and with his word to say, okay, how do I thoughtfully think about this relationship and what am I called to do? It feels like we, it's hard to even jump into this topic without, you know, talking about 
boundaries. And yeah. as as biblical counselors, we maybe have mixed feelings even about using that that word. Sometimes we see it used selfishly. Sometimes you know it's it's kind of just common language that people use now for relationships. So I'd love to just ask: Do you use the language of boundaries when you're talking with people about this? When you're counseling others, or is there a more helpful way to to help them think about these yeah. things? You know, I I try not to get too amped up over over terms like that, just because, <laughs> you know, people people come to us with their life and with their context. And so mm. for certain people, they come to us with those words and those words mean something to them. So, you know, rather than doing battle with them over the the rightness or the wrongness of that word, I, I don't know, maybe another way to come at it would just be, hey, what do you mean by that? When you say that word boundaries, help me understand what that looks like for you. Mm. And I oftentimes, you know, find when people describe it to me, I'm I'm nodding my head in agreement. I'm saying, yeah, that, that that's really wise. And I agree with that. There's other times when they use the word and, you know, I have, I have curiosity and a little bit of a question mark, you know, on my face of, oh, I don't, I've never thought about it the way. And I don't know if I, I would come to it that way in the way that you did. So all that being said, I think boundaries in, in, in some ways can be a helpful term, but like any words, I, I think we really have to understand what the person, the counsel, the individual in front of us, how they're using that word. I think that's really helpful. That's just a matter of unpacking what people yeah. are actually saying mm-hmm. right. with their words right. instead of yeah. taking that face value and applying right. what we think that they're saying, right. which right. for the record is a really bad way to be a friend. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So note to anyone listening, don't do that. But instead, yeah. <laughs> be like Jonathan, ask questions to discern what they're actually trying to say. Which yeah. I always find when people are are doing that for me, it's they're, they're listening to me. So if you're yes. asking questions about the words that I'm using, it means you really want to understand what I'm saying, which I'm probably right. saying whatever it is poorly. So please help, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. We're all, yeah, we're all fallible in our communication. We all tend to be probably not as clear as we would like or as we perceive that we are. But But Brian, maybe to your original question, like in terms of boundaries, I find more often than not, a lot of times people use that word in a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. So, you know, oh, this person is, you know, pushing pushing my buttons or, you know, they're kind of getting in my kitchen or I don't, you know, I, I just don't like them. They're, they're, they're hard to deal with. They're difficult. So I need to put up a boundary. So the idea of a boundary then is to protect you from becoming overly involved, overly committed, overly dependent. So trying to help people think through, okay, is this... Is this a relationship where there's hurt or is this a relationship where there's harm? Is Mm. this a relationship that is difficult or is this a relationship that's destructive? And again, trying to put people a little bit more on the spectrum and helping them wisely assess, okay, just because something's difficult or hard, that's a little bit of a different category than if that relationship or friendship is destructive and, and harmful. So just, you know, again, it's, it's asking good questions. It's listening to their feedback and, and helping them, you know, in some ways think themselves clear. That's a, that's a really helpful distinction. And, you know, as, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of the, you know, the words of the, the great theologian, Kenny Rogers, you know, who <laughs> said, you know, you got to know when to hold them, got to know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. We've talked a little bit about walking away. What are some times when, when you would counsel people, you need to run? Yeah. And obviously, you know, Kenny Rogers is talking about a gambling scenario, but we're, you know, were there guns involved likely yeah. under the table? But often people come to us as counselors or just in friendship. They'll come yeah. to us with scenarios where we say, 
that's really dangerous. You you need to yeah. run. How do you help people think through that? Yeah. Again, it's one of those questions where the the way that we answer that, there's so many other factors that come into it. You know, who's the person in front of me? What's their context? What are their resources? What's their maturity level? Who do they who else do they have in their life? So again, you know, scripture, I think it's constantly not just offering this neat either or, but more of a framework of how do we to borrow your word to discern and to wisely think about these things. But yeah, there are probably certain areas where we would counsel people, hey, you, you need to, if not run away, definitely put some separation and take a break, put up a boundary. So again, that spectrum that I'm thinking about, maybe from immature behavior to a moral behavior, right? Is your friend just being immature? Well, man, let's be patient and bear with that. Are they acting immorally and asking you to engage in immoral behavior? Mm. That's that's probably where, no, we we want to have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, Ephesians 5. So, so that at least gives us a little bit of a framework. But we also know that in putting that line of separation or that boundary, that there's always a movement that can go the other way, which would be that movement of love and prayer for that person. So it's never a matter of just, oh, I just disconnect, I cancel them, I ghost them. But it's no, this this separation, this walking away is, is purposeful. It's love says no to evil. We know that from Romans 12, but love also pursues and desires the best for those around us. I think as we are reconcilers, right? It's, yeah. it's we've made literally our living out of being reconcilers, which <laughs> means we love reconciliation. We love yeah. when God makes people whole, and that includes friendships. I think even personally, some of the most painful parts of my life are when reconciliation just wasn't happening, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with a close friend or with someone in the church or watching yeah. even church conflict. I think when we are trying to discern when to walk away and when to to press forward, there's a way in which if we continue to engage, it could actually even cause more pain or more destruction. Yes. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think you're right that there are times where, especially within the church, as reconcilers, we realize perhaps there's not a path forward. And I, I guess the example that's coming to the top of my head is just Paul and Barnabas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a sharp disagreement that arises against them. I don't think either of them were, you know, church discipline for their lack of reconciliation or anything like that, but they just came to the spot where they, where they realized that there was going to be a literal parting of the ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I I would hope that, you know, reading in between the lines of scripture, that my hope would be that they were able to do that, though, in a way that was wise, that was humble, that was thoughtful, and that was godly to be able to identify, okay, we do have some fundamental disagreements over John Mark, for instance, but also realizing, okay, we're not we're going to badmouth each other. We're not going to trash each other. We're not going to, you know, write a social media post about how you're not a good Christian. But we just realized (laughs) that probably for the better of our good and for our faith, we're gonna take a step away. And again, for me, that's that's where scripture hymns us in. It says, okay, it gives us allowances to do those things, but also gives us, and this is the beauty, I think, of friendship, also gives us a future reality where we realize that there is coming a time where those types of things that do tend to drive us apart and tear us apart ultimately one day will be resolved. And mm-hmm. I think that that can give us a lot of eschatological hope to to realize that this side of heaven there will be unrequited friendships and reconciled friendships but we're we're moving towards a reality where that will be a thing of the past Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's been really important for me to recognize that i'm not jesus right (laughs) that's pretty obvious 
and they're not either. And we both mm. have our own perspectives, which means nobody is perfect and nobody's absolute. Right. And, and nobody is 100% right. And so I think on on when you're walking through something that's that difficult, the humility comes from recognizing everything that I think about this isn't completely right. Uh, right. And they're probably correct on some things, even if I can't see what they are. But I can ask the Lord to help me, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what those are. And maybe that helps you move forward and maybe it does it. But just with humility, being able to approach that, maybe we won't reconcile today or maybe not even the next 10 years, but I can assess that I'm not Jesus and they're they're not Jesus. (laughs) And so you can have this hope, even if there's a brokenness in that relationship um, to keep having friends with other people, right? Right. No, absolutely. And I, and again, I think we even see that model in Jesus's ministry. I mean, there are times where he does walk away from people, you know, thinking about the rich young ruler. I mean, he mm. talks to him, he engages in conversation, realizes that the conversation ultimately is not probably going to go anywhere because there are fundamentally different spots in how each of them are seeing the answer to the question. And Jesus is kind, loves him, but then the guy walks away. You know, and Jesus isn't like, you know, Jason after him, like, hey, no, no, let, let's talk again and let's have more conversation. But then we also realize he really sticks with people too. You know, he sticks with 12 people who are, you know, quite a motley crew of individuals and he sticks with them through a lot, a lot of difficulty, not being the brightest tools in the shed as it were in terms of getting what he was doing and who he was. And yet he perseveres with them. So uh, again, we're not Christ, but we draw we draw comfort in an example from Christ in the sense of, yeah, like you said, I mean, there are some relationships even on Christ's side that don't have this neat bow tied on top of them where they're just, you know, forever friends. So, so Jonathan, earlier you mentioned social media, which in our day and age is just going to be a part of this for so many. And, and you don't have to spend long on social media to see people talking about how they are cutting the toxic people out of their lives mm-hmm. or, or kind of like tweeting at people or posting at yes. people. And, you know, yet if Christ-likeness is our goal in how we deal with all relationships, even those that are difficult, it just doesn't seem like that mentality of I just cut the toxic people out is a healthy way to, to think about relationships. How, how would you encourage someone who's needing to redefine a relationship, maybe needing to set a healthy boundary, but, but needs to think about how to do that in a Christ-like way? Right. Yeah. It's, you know, Phrases like that, like, you know, toxic, toxic friendships are becoming, I think, part and parcel of our vocabulary and, you know, maybe a way that you can start it, start that conversation with a friend or, you know, with a counselee is less, let's not think so much and dwell so much about this toxic person that you feel like you need to cut out of your life. But let's talk about how does this toxic person, how do they make you feel? What things come to mind when you think about this individual? What things come to mind when you're around this individual or when you see them? Because the, the the locus of responsibility, I think, there situates a little bit more into an area where that individual has responsibility and control and is able to actually bring about change rather than saying, gosh, like this person, I wish he or she wasn't doing this or wasn't doing that. And so I'm going to now affect his or her behavior by cutting them off, which tends to be this ironic I think dynamic that we all have of, man, if I kept this toxic person in my life, then he or she's going to see the light and, you know, miss this friendship and come running back. I mean, we all know sometimes that might happen, but oftentimes that person continues to be toxic, right? And you're, Mm -hmm. you're over here having cut them out of your life, not the better for it. So moving that center of gravity back to, okay, why, why do I even have that inclination to cut them out? There, there must be something about this friendship or this relationship 
which is, which is raising up issues in my own heart, feelings, emotions, maybe touching on past experiences that are hard and uncomfortable for me. And so with a thoughtful friend or a wise counselor, how can I actually work through some of those things? Now, you might arrive at the same endpoint, the same conclusion where that person leaves your life and you, again, quote unquote, cut them off or put up a boundary, whatever. But you've done the hard work and the hard work of understanding how you came to that decision rather than just having this knee jerk, hey, I'm going to cut them out. And in, and in that way, mirroring, I would say, the spirit of our age, not the spirit of Christ. Yeah, it seems like we're always caught in this, the tension of, on the one hand, we're not Christ, right? So we can't guarantee right. that we're going to be able to restore every relationship. And there are those times where we do have to to just release someone. And then at the same time, we're we're called to be like Christ and to mm -hmm. model his character. And of course, in my relationship with Christ, I'm always the toxic person. <laughs> and he is always faithful and, yeah. and gentle yeah. and patient yes. with me. Yeah. And yet he challenges me and <clears throat> confronts me with the truth and shows me my own heart. Yeah. And so are there times where, or maybe the question is, how do you encourage someone when, when really it seems like what's needed is, is persevering in love mm -hmm. with someone who is maybe broken, maybe hard to love, but per persevering, yeah. persevering in love is going to bear fruit that they maybe wouldn't see otherwise yeah. if they yeah. just said, nope, I'm done with you. Yeah. I, I do think that that's a really important distinction that you're making in terms of that, the perseverance word of being able to maybe have a little bit of foresight to say, do I, do I have the foresight and the confidence that, I mean, if I were to persevere a little bit longer and to really press into this, that there could be fruitfulness on the other side of it. And I think that that's where, again, walking in the spirit, being informed and guided by other wise people in your life can be so helpful. I, I think decisions like that made in isolation tend not to not to go too well. You want to have other people in your life. We we rarely see ourselves or our own motivations clearly. There's a lot of mixed motivation right that happens in our own hearts, and so just acknowledging that means we have to live in community. We need other people to help us see ourselves clearly. And again, that's where the Bible, I think, in such a good way, constantly is not pushing us to these extremes, but saying in every one of these situations, they have to be handled with wisdom. So think about Paul and Corinthians. I mean, there's times where he does want us to cut out toxic people. In 1 Corinthians 5, you know, the horrific situation there, he says, you know, have nothing to do with this person, kick them out, cut the toxic person out. And then in 2 Corinthians, this, this group of, you know, false apostles who are questioning his his leadership and his pastoral heart and care. I mean, he goes toe to toe with them and writes to them and admonishes them and moves towards them and pursues them and lays out a defense of his ministry. You know, he could have just not answered them, quote unquote, cut them off and ghosted them, but he perseveres with them. So I think, again, scripture is always so true to life and shows us how life is really lived in the real world. It's not these abstract principles, right, that we have to kind of navigate through, but real life scenarios that require, I would just say, the present wisdom and grace of the Lord. I think we'd be remiss not to mention personality in the midst of this, yeah. that in affinities and things that we like, how much of right. that do you think should play into choosing a friend? Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think it's definitely a factor. I wouldn't say it's the factor, but it's definitely a factor. I, I think that when you're thinking about affinities and personalities and compatibilities, et cetera, I mean, those are just a part of the good design of how God made us all unique and individual. You know, one of, one of the ways I think that, that friends and counselors can help you is 
just maybe even identifying what what are you prone to? What are you drawn to? Are you drawn to maybe pulling away earlier rather than later in relationships? Do you tend to mm-hmm. avoid? Do you tend to kind of huddle down and to be self-protective? Well, then, you know, godly wisdom in that case might be, hey, persevere a little bit longer. Hold on. Maybe your tendency is to be much more aggressive and, and to pursue and to fight and to, to hang on too long. And so part of the counsel there and just knowing your own personality might be, okay, I need to, this is my timetable, but I really need to submit to the Lord's leading in this relationship. And, and all, all indicators are saying this relationship is done or has reached an end. And, and I need to come to terms with that and come to peace with that. So I definitely think personality affinities uh, play a role in that for sure. Okay, I have to bring this up. And I didn't tell you that I was going to bring this up. No. I didn't tell Brian either. <laughs> da, 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 here I go. Da, 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 da. Okay, but I'm a I'm a female and you yeah. are a male. Brian is also yeah. a male. A- and I count both of you as dear friends. Some of the friendships that I have cherished the most as a grown woman has been faithful friends who are male who have come alongside of me to encourage me and in the most appropriate sense, in the most appropriate way, have been dear, dear friends of mine. There's so much that gets misconstrued there. Right, right. In the public, in stories and different things. I'm not talking about myself, but just in general, mm-hmm. this conversation of men and women being friends, uh, right. I think is really messy, one. Mm-hmm. But two, I think we've done a really poor job of really explaining what that should look like or displaying what that should look mm-hmm. like or having examples of what that should look like. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll there's give, an open give, door. Yes, no Locks pressure. I'll give, no I'll, pressure. I'll, give Becca, I'll give Becca and Brian, <laughs> a, you know, freedom to edit this out if it if it's not kosher. But I, I 100 percent agree. I think that a lot has gotten misconstrued and miscommunicated as it relates mm-hmm. to you know that male female dynamic of friendship. So I'll just go back to Genesis Genesis one and two. The idea there, when God creates Eve to be a helper for Adam, I find time and time again gets so misunderstood. The idea of Eve being a helper in our Western cultural Christian-y sense is, yeah, like, you know, Adam had a lot going on in the garden, a lot of domestic things that he just didn't have time to do. So he was just really worn out. And so God knew that, provided a helper for him. I mean, it was just too much to name all the animals. He needed somebody to kind of come alongside, clean the dishes, you know, pick out weeds, that type of thing. And that's that's what she is. Eve is essentially a, a domestic helper for Adam. And, and I think that's such, just so dangerous to, to go down that route. Mm-hmm. The idea there of Eve being a helper is the idea that God sees Adam and says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The idea is that Adam cannot fully image God on his own. He needs somebody that is like him, but different than him in order to fully image an intra-Trinitarian relationship. And so he creates Eve. 16 of the 19 times that helper is used in Genesis, it's used of God himself. So mm-hmm. the idea of helper being this less than category for, for, for Eve is just not borne out in the text. And so if we see women as people who help us fully image God, I think that completely changes the game when it comes to friendships mm-hmm. and relationships. The easiest analog then, I think, to protect against all of the different reasons why people bring up why men and women can't be friends is this idea of siblinghood. And I would say friendship mm-hmm. and siblinghood go oftentimes hand in hand where mm-hmm. this idea that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, which I find to be very analogous to we're friends in Christ. I just think there's so much richness there. I think we have lost out on 
so many wonderful things, so many wonderful joys and treasures in life by not having friends of the opposite mm-hmm. sex. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think even those friendships have been hard fought and hard won in my life. And yeah. those are not shallow just because right. they are cross-gendered, but there are there are differences in my relationships right. with yeah. a male friend versus a female friend. Right. But it's that I think the theme here that I'm hearing even from the beginning of this conversation has been wisdom and discernment, wisdom right. and discernment. Yeah. And and how do we grow? So in the midst of that theme of wisdom and discernment in friendships, which you need to have, whether it's a same gender friendship or mm-hmm. a mixed gender friendship, what are some ways, some really practical ways that you think we should seek to grow in wisdom and discernment? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. You know, this, this, the simplest way to answer that is just, just do it. Just start moving forward. I think sometimes we, we think wisdom and discernment is this, you know, esoteric philosophical, mm-hmm. like hunch or feeling that we're going to get. And, you know, we're, we're waiting on this before we can move forward into a relationship. And, you know, all these metaphors about wisdom, it's walk in wisdom, right? Do it, do life, do friendships, pursue people, love people well. You know, if you want, if you want strong practicalities, then Romans 12 gives you a little bit of a starting point. Let, let your love be sincere and without hypocrisy, abhor mm. what is evil, cling to what is good, mm. pray fervently, be patient in tribulation, extend hospitality, uh, don't return evil for evil. So you want to, you want to grow in wisdom and discernment? Well, practice these things, orient your life around these aspects of what it means to, to be a Christian, to be a brother and sister in Christ. I think sometimes we just, we do overcomplicate friendships. You know, we, we're waiting for the right time, the right person, right stage of life, right geographical location. And we just, you know, you get to be 65 or 70 and realize you have no friends. And so I would say from as early as possible, man, how are we teaching and training our children, our teens, our young adults, ourselves to do exactly that, to walk in wisdom and then discernment in friendships and relationships? Because I feel like that's something that's going to be a a lifelong lesson for all of us. You know, it's interesting that you go to Romans 12, because I, I think in this discussion about, you know, humbly releasing friendships or persevering mm-hmm. in love and how to discern that, like we have one of the most succinct bits of wisdom in Romans 12, which is just mm-hmm. in as much as it depends on you, live right. at peace with all people, right? So right. there is right. a persevering love element to that, but then there's a recognition of our limitations and there's right. sometimes we we have reached the limits of what we can do. Yeah. And, and we need to be okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If we're going to talk about the contrast between walking away sinfully versus being full of wisdom and discernment and walking away from a friendship, I think it's important to think about how we use the word think like four times now, but (laughs) how we actually think about that person when we're alone or when yeah. You know, obviously, when we're speaking to other people, not to refrain from gossip, but are you praying for that person? Are you yeah. caring for that person in your heart when you think about them? And how can you bless that person, even if that's not necessarily a conversation that you're going to have with them? But yes. can you move forward toward them in love in your heart when you're sitting alone in the car, they drive by you yeah. or yes. when you see something on social media about them? And I, I think that is that wisdom and discernment piece of if you're not in an active friendship with them and you have walked away, how can you move forward in your heart towards them? Do you think yes. that's? Oh, Becca, I think that's, that's a salient point. I think it's very true. You know, in Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus talks about how 
long before a, a deed is committed outside of us, we can be guilty of the core the core part of what that sin represents. So nobody's murdering their brother, but mm-hmm. we're definitely hating him in our mm-hmm. hearts. So yeah, we're we're removed from the friendship. We might have quote unquote cut them out of our lives, but what are we still doing with them internally? And that mm-hmm. idea of how do we think about them? How do we feel about them? Those are those are challenging questions for sure. And I think that those are questions that if we're not willing to ask ourselves, that we invite a friend, a colleague, a counselor into our lives to say, these are questions I frankly don't want to ask because they're painful. They're embarrassing. They bring up, you know, a layer of guilt or shame, but Mm -hmm. I need someone to ask me about them. How do I feel towards this person? Because if at some point, if I haven't done that hard work, I think it makes any potential reconciliation in the season of perseverance all the more difficult, right? If you have been just killing them in your heart, murdering them in your heart, well, then there's not going to be any fertile ground for reconciliation at any point. You know, if you've just been internally narrating what a horrible person they are to you. So what are some signs that you are murdering someone in your heart? How do you know if you're doing that? Because that's a that's a strong phrase. And most people are going to hear that and go, of course, I'm not murdering them in their heart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, Jonathan. I, I mean, I mean, some of the the boilerplate types of feelings or thoughts that come to my mind of, you know, when I, when I think about them, am I thinking things that are not true, that are not founded in reality, that are perhaps things that I'm misattributing to them, perceptions or feelings, hurts that I yeah. have, but then I'm transferring onto them. When, when the thought of their name or, you know, I see something online, when that first comes to mind, what is, what's my gut level instinct? Is it to to pull away? Is it to condemn? Is it to judge? Or is it just one of, if I don't feel love for that person at that moment, is at least a pause to ask the Lord for help in that moment. Mm. So I'm thinking about a friendship that, you know, maybe you've just recently separated from a friend and there's still a large amount of hurt is my first instinct in that moment to bring that to the Lord and lament. Mm. Or would it be to bring it to another friend and say, can you believe what, you know, so so did to me, you know, that's, those I would say would be maybe some of the beginning signs of, okay, you, there's, there's some work that needs to be done. There's some work that needs to be done. And I think all three of us would be like, we'd say we were completely immune to that, right? All of us mm-hmm. you know, struggle with that in our relationships. I think that's human nature, you know, at its worst. So we're constantly, mm-hmm. I think, having to attend to that and work against that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the importance of repentance, I think needs to be stated because yeah. if, we need to be ready to forgive always, but quick to repent constantly. Right, right. And have we have we taken a responsibility for what we did do wrong? And right. are we ready mm-hmm. to receive them back? If there was conflict, if there was actual sin, then are we re- right. ready to receive them back always? Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those and those are tough questions that get answered in a variety of different ways based off of those circumstances. And that's where that need for spiritual discernment and wise love come into play. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And forgiveness doesn't always necessarily look like being best friends again. Exactly. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's, we... one of the thing, that's, that's one of the things I love about the Paul and Barnabas, you know, scenarios. I mean, it would be great. You would think, you know, ideally in like the Bible, right? We'd have this like, you know, they're running towards one another in Jerusalem on the streets and they embrace <laughs> one another. And it's like, oh, I was wrong. No, you are. No, I was. And, and they, you know, take communion together and, you know, right off in the sunset, but we don't, it's just, they had a short disagreement. And I mean, we know at some point that it seems like John, Mark and Paul 
come back together. But Paul and Barnabas, yeah, we don't know what happened there. And we entrust that to the Lord. It's one of those passages where I, I wish we had, you know, the extended narrative of the conversation. Yes. Yes. Know, what were the nuances as they're, as they're each going their own way? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the inner monologue earlier, yeah. and I just think that uh, that can be so dangerous if we if we just let that run, right? We yeah. I think about Lloyd Jones talking about you know we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to mm-hmm. ourselves, and because when we are listening to ourselves, like we are the narrators creating a yes. story about this person, yes. and it's yes. just it's the it's antithetical to true listening in relationship and um, right. being willing to keep, like know this other person and assume I don't know what they're thinking, I don't know. Right what's in their heart. Right. Right. And we, you know, Tripp, you know, famously said, you know, we're the most influential people in our life because nobody's talking to ourselves more than we are. And mm-hmm. so that, that internal narrative is constantly going on. And I think that's one of the beauties of what counseling does is it draws that inner narrative out. What are you thinking? What are you telling mm-hmm. yourself? And what I normally tell, you know, my counselees is, you know, we think people are thinking about us more than people are thinking about us. <laughs> and we can hyper-focus on like, oh, that person, that toxic person I've cut out of my life, I'm like, I'm really sticking it to them, you know, because I've cut them out and they're probably not even thinking about you, honestly. Mm. You know, and so mm. we, we dedicate a lot of mental real estate to individuals who at the end of the day, that mental real estate could be dedicated to the Lord and to meditating on his law day and night, as it were. So that that inner dialogue is powerful. I do think it shapes our feelings, our emotions, our behaviors, our interactions. And so having a friend help draw that out from us, I do think is an important part of counseling and in friendship. What are some resources, Jonathan, maybe that you have read or heard of or participated in that you think is helpful in terms of what we're talking about here? Well, I definitely commend my own book on friendship company <laughs> we keep. So you can go to Amazon and buy it. But that's, you know, there if you're you just go. looking for if you're looking for a really short primer on on friendship, that's I would say it's a really helpful one. You know, obviously Bonhoeffer's Life Together, I think, is a classic and one that when you read a lot of books on friendship and you realize that we're all quoting and going back to to a couple of individuals, then you want to go back and read that book. And I think that's how it is with Bonhoeffer, his book. It's short, it's concise, but it's just, it's full of wisdom. I'm trying to think of other books, like specifically on this topic, you know, William Smith had an old book that I think has since gone out of print. It's called Loving Well, Even If You Haven't Been, and it's with New Growth Press. And it's one I refer to a lot. Bill used to be really connected to CCEF. He's a pastor in Pennsylvania, but I reference that book a lot and will assign chapters to people in counseling. He goes through just a lot of different scenarios, like case studies of when you haven't been loved or treated well, and then kind of uses like a case study or a narrative to kind of help walk you through what does loving well look like. The other book that came out of the 31 Day Devotional Series is a book by Ellen Dicus on toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. So talking about toxicity, if you're looking for a really concise book to help you navigate that, Ellen had passed along those proofs. As she was writing the book, and I had the privilege of endorsing that. And it's a it's, it's a really good resource if you've been in some of these relationships like we've been talking about, these toxic mm. relationships. So those would be some ones off the top of my head. And the nice thing is they're all really brief, really short. And Jonathan, where can people go to learn more about you and the work that you do? Fieldstonecounseling.org. That's the, the website for the counseling organization that I lead that is very similar to Anchored Hope and we're a counseling center that's based in Northeast Ohio, but we do counseling remotely and across the globe. And 
I think, share a very similar passion and, and vision for gospel-centered care for people. So we're like brothers Absolutely. and sisters in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are thankful for you, for Fieldstone, um, for your friendship and just allowing mm-hmm. us to learn from you. <laughs> we, oh. we, so we, we very much appreciate what you're doing. Thank we you might guys. say that we appreciate your friendship. Jonathan. Yes. 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 Well, thank you for joining us. I feel like we just opened a whole can of worms and we could sit here and talk about this for a really long time. (laughs) But instead, everyone should just go buy Jonathan's book and read it. And then you can email him and ask him questions. (laughs) Just Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You've been listening to This Versus That, a podcast of Anchored Hope Virtual Counseling. To learn more about this episode or our ministry at Anchored Hope, visit anchoredhope.co.